It's a really good question, isn't it? It's a question that everybody wrestles with at some point, at some level in their lives. And you might have never wrestled with it using the term sin, but you've wrestled with it. And it's a pretty big deal as we live to figure out what we're going to do with this. And so as we are building our base camp for faith, as we're building that starting point or, or the restarting point for some, that restarting point of faith, we need answers to this question. What are we going to do with all that stuff? So as you try to figure out, is there a God? What is God like? Does it matter how I behave? How should I decide to behave? Is, is, is this really an opinion kind of question? Is it honestly up to me to decide what's right and wrong? Should right and wrong be the same for everyone? Or should it be different for everyone? And based on that, how do we live together in a society? Does God like good people? Does God punish bad people? Does God hear prayer? Somewhere along the line, many of us, if not all of us, were taught in one way or another, this is something that you do. You pray and you ask God to forgive you of your sins. It's a ritual for many people. It's, it's, it's a mantra. Just say it. Just do it. And you might not have been sure um, what was going on with it, but, but you learned somewhere along the line to say, God, forgive me of my sins. And it seemed to work, basically, if you were a kid and you were doing this, because honestly, what had you done? Uh, well, what did you do? I, I went into my sister's room. Okay, well, I ask God to forgive you for going into your sister's room. Okay, God, forgive me for going into my sister's room, Right? Great, now everything's together and everything's fine again, there's no problem. And then, and then we become adults. And these, these sin things, well, they got bigger. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the difference between sins and mistakes. And mistakes is a nicer word, frankly. We prefer to use it, but it's also an inaccurate word. Adult-sized sin just gets bigger. And it's big enough to start causing now guilt and shame. And there might very well be whole seasons of our lives that we wish we could simply relive. And this is not a religious thing. This is just an embarrassment thing or, or a regret thing. Where we say, please don't ask me about my girlfriend, okay? Please don't ask me about, about university. Let's just leave the details in the past. And if I could just remove that one weekend, that weekend where I, I seem to have lost my mind. If I could just never have to deal with that memory again, that would be great. Please don't ask me about my first marriage. Remember that, that money thing when, well, you know, don't, don't ask me about my last job. I don't want to remember all that stuff about my boss. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. There's just so much of it out there. They're not religious things. They just exist. What can wash away my sin? What can wash away my guilt? What can wash away my shame? And we do all kinds of things. We, we try to just not think about it. And then someone says a name. Or you, or you drive down that street. You get a whiff of a smell and then it all comes back. 
You hear that song and the memories come rushing back. The memories, those feelings, the shame, the regret, the anger, the feelings of vulnerability, the sadness, the embarrassment. And some of us, honestly, some of us have tried to drink it away. We've tried to medicate it away. I'm going to work harder. I'll give away money. Maybe I can even have more children. Maybe there is something that I can do. We haven't even got to anything religious yet, okay? This is just the way it is in real life. But is there something that I can do or that I can get done for me that will wash that stuff away? I don't want to think about it anymore. Or at least if I do think about it, I don't want it to have the weight that it's had up until now. There's a lot of stuff that I, that I wish I could remember, honestly. And it just seems to slip out of my head. I try to remember it and it's gone, but there are other things. There are other things that I would just love to forget about, to never have to remember again. And there are things that we have done that we are ashamed of. There are things that we can be ashamed of, but, but because of, of what they were, because of when it happened, we can still laugh about them. And people start to tell their story, and this is what was going on, and you step up. And you're not shy about this at all. You just sort of step up. Is that all? You should hear what I did, right? And you can laugh about those kind of stories, and you can say, oh man, back then. And some mistakes we can laugh about. Some mistakes you can joke about them, and they're funny now. Embarrassing, but to a different degree. And then on the other side, there are some adult-level things that we have done that are just never, ever going to be funny. And they will always be embarrassing. These are things that you've carried around with you wherever you go. They're, they're like a cloud that, that's always there that kind of blurs and obscures all that's around you. You see through it all the time. What? If anything can wash away your sin, your guilt, your shame. And th then, then we do stuff, it seems like everybody seems to do this. We, we just bury it in the sea of humanity, right? I'm a citizen of humanity. So we bury it in that sea of nobody's perfect, right? And since nobody's perfect, then I'm not a problem. And what I've done, it's also not a problem. Nobody's perfect, therefore... I'm fine, just like everybody else is fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. And you tell yourself that, and, and, and you want yourself to hear that. And you, and you tell yourself stuff like, well, well, when that happened, I was young. <laughs> I was drunk. <laughs> My bad. I was angry. I lost control. I was lonely. What else could I do? I was hungry. I was broke. I didn't know any better. And all of those things can be true. And they will still not have an impact on washing it away. It still doesn't go away. It just kind of hangs there, like that cloud. It's not like it's every minute of every day, but, but it does seem to follow you around. And at that core of that struggle, that, that struggle where you're trying to sort out what to do, is, is there a religious part to this struggle? Is it just psychological? 
Is, is there a faith part? And if you're thinking about starting or restarting faith, you need to get yourself into this quandary. Put this into your base camp. You need to have some sort of understanding about what you're going to do about this stuff. And what you're struggling with, really, the issue, forgiveness. That's what it is. What you're looking for, and you might never have thought about it in these terms, so you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to think about it now, and you're probably going to have to think, this, think about this again later on as well. And I'll tell you right up front, it's possible to disagree, all right? You can disagree with me. That's okay. Is there a way to so forgive myself that once I forgive myself, it's really done? And if it ever comes back, if I ever have to think about it again, when I have to see her again or her, and if I ever end up going there or I see that, I can just be at peace mentally knowing that it's really been forgiven. The other part of it is that in a way, to a degree, you feel like you owe yourself something. You feel debt. I owe it to myself to have been a better father. When I think about what happened with my kids, you know, I traveled too much. I worked too much. The way I allowed my marriage problems to just pile up, I should have never talked to my daughter like that. I should have never been so negative with my son. I owed it to my kids to be a better father. I owed it to my first wife to be faithful. I owed it to my first husband to never have treated him like that. I owed it to myself to be a better person. I owed it to myself to have greater character. If I could just forgive myself, if I could somehow pay myself back, then that, that shadow, that cloud that seems to be around me, maybe it would actually go away. Could that wash away all that I feel? We go back to that week two. In week two, we talked about mistaker versus sinner. And sinner sounds so religious, right? And for years and for years and for years, many of you, and I'm not being critical, it's just something that's common in all of us. For years, we talk about making a mistake. It's just a mistake. <laughs> I made some mistakes when I was younger, made some mistakes in my first marriage, Made some mistakes in my previous career. Yeah, I made some mistakes with my kids. I've made some mistakes. The thing is, we all know what you do with a mistake, right? You get out an eraser, and you erase it, and you correct it. But you can't get the eraser out and correct these mistakes. You also know, in your heart, it's bigger than a mistake. Mistakes come from, from a lack of correct information. And you know, you know it's bigger than that. And if you decide that this stuff in your past, this, this cloud, that shame, if you decide that it's actually sin, well, that's a big deal. Because if it's a sin, you have to own it. And when you own it, you will feel Worse. And who wants to feel worse? Seriously, that's why I don't go to church. 
frankly, I feel bad enough all on my own. I don't need your help making me feel worse. Thank you very much. And so it's a circle. Round and round and round we go. And where it stops, nobody knows. What can wash away? Can anything wash away my sin? And we're adults, right? So there's no simplistic kind of answer to this. This is an adult starting place. We're not, we're not doing the same thing. The kids downstairs, we talk in a different way. The issues are bigger than going into your sister's room. This is not about the money that you took from your dad's dresser. This is adult level stuff. And the truth is that if we stop now, the truth is that at some level, religious or not, Christian or not, whatever background you are, you may not have to wrestle it. You've ne- you may not have to wrestle with it in these terms, right? But all, we've all lived long enough. We've all lived long enough to wonder, is there a way to get rid of it? To be done, to wash it away. I know I can't go back and undo it. I can't unlive it. And I've tried. I've tried to do enough now. I'm changing now. And and I'm planning ahead. I've got the plan for the future. I know what to do going forward. All I have to do is to stop doing all that stuff that I did before, right? That's what I have to do. But no matter how much I don't do in the future, it won't make up for my past. And you've heard a version of this before, and it's pretty significant. And as you consider this adult starting place, as you consider Christianity, as you consider what to put into your base camp, I'd love it. If you could, just for today, consider this giant, could it really be true thought? Every religious system and every faith system offers a solution to this dilemma. This is what you do. And some of you, many of you, have tried You've taken a faith system and you've been involved in that faith system and you wanted to make it go away by trying, by trying some of those systems. And so you, maybe you're trying it even with this uh, testing out Christianity thing. Maybe I'll embrace Christianity. I'm, I'm hoping that it can have this kind of an impact on me, but it still doesn't seem to wash away your sin, your guilt, your shame. Every religious system offers a solution. But there's only one person who offered himself as a solution. Every religion will offer you some sort of how-to guide to deal with your guilt, your shame, your sin. In all of recorded history, there's only ever been one person who has stepped forward to say, I don't think we've got a solution. I am the solution. No, no. Whoever would say that is either insane, they're lying, or we should pay attention. So John, John is famous for for a book that he wrote, and he called it John, (laughs) Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And John tells us early on in his gospel that there's another man who just happened to be named John. So yeah, John met John on the way in. This is a busy day for you today. Sorry. It's another John. And John shows up in Judea. His name was John, and people called him John the Baptist, okay? That wasn't because of what church he attended 
or because of something that he did. It's because he did stuff that had never before been recorded in human history. Back in the first century, if, something, if someone wanted to change their religion and they wanted to become Jewish, then they went through a ceremony. And part of that ceremony would be a ceremonial washing, a baptism. And that's a dipping or a cleansing. John the Baptist, John the baptizer, went to the Jordan River. And he wasn't telling people to go and baptize themselves, which was typical. That was common. People were often told to do this. He was taking hold of them and he was baptizing them, doing it himself. And this had never, ever before been done. And many, many, many people from the surrounding area flooded down to the Jordan River to see this guy and to hear him speak. So Mark 1, it says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, that's a little bit of Bible hyperbole, okay? It's like when your kids say, come on, everybody's going. And when you're a great parent, this, you say stuff like this, really? Really, everyone's going? Is the prime minister going? Is Wayne Gretzky going? Okay, so not everyone is going, okay? So that, that, this is the same thing that this is happening here, right? This means that so many people were going that it felt like everyone's going. And that's probably what Mark meant. He didn't mean that every house was empty, and every Roman centurion and every Roman soldier and Pontius Pilate, the governor, were all down there. No, it's just human language that we use to say it looked like tons and tons of people came pouring out of wherever they were to go and check out the John the Baptist show. So if you're setting up this for a film, which has been done dozens of times, this is not about a couple dozen people sort of milling about. It's at least a couple of thousand folks and that's what it would be if Mark is telling us the truth and Mark got his information from Peter and Peter was one of the best friends of Jesus. He's sort of involved in this whole story. So this, this journey to get to the Jordan, it's not an insignificant thing either, okay? So if you had a jet pack from Jerusalem, it's about 20 miles. If you don't have a jet pack and you have to walk through the winding hills and the countryside, it's probably more like 40 miles. And you would have to get up and start before the sun rises, and you would walk until after the sun sets. And it's a dangerous journey. You have to go by Jericho, and we all know something about Jericho, right? But thousands of these people are doing it. They're getting up, and they're making this walk, and they are flooding to hear John the Baptist speak. And when they get there, they discover that John is, well, John is odd, okay? The food that John eats odd. The way he dresses, well, he dresses oddly. And all four Gospels talk about John, and all four of them describe him in the same way. Josephus, the Jewish historian who worked with the Romans, he talked about John the Baptist too. You know who else talked about John the Baptist? Muhammad. Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad in the Quran, talks about John the Baptist in the same way, almost identical terms as the New Testament does. So this guy that we're talking about He's a real guy. It's not a fiction kind of fella. So he's so compelling that the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jerusalem thought, hey, could this be the Messiah? No one has drawn a crowd like this in our lifetime. Everyone's leaving the city to go down and listen to this guy wherever he is. Just enormous crowds. So they join the everyone and they go see John the Baptist. So they go and they walk and they wait. They watch, 
and they listen. And finally, they get to talk to him at the after party, and they say, hey, who are you? And John, he does things a little differently, so the answer that he gives them really didn't help all that much. And so they get a little impatient, and so they say, okay, 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 let's cut to the chase. Are you the Messiah? Are you the guy that we've heard about and that we've been waiting for for a long time? Are you the prophet that we heard talked about? Who are you? Now, if you're looking, if you're following along in the paper, I made a mistake. I put the wrong reference in there. Right reference is here. I think I said Mark. It's really John. Okay? So I'm just telling you up front, this is not heretical or something. It's there. Circle it. It's John, not Mark. He says, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. You don't recognize him. He's here, but you don't see him. There are all kinds of people who just can't wait to get close to me. They want to hear from me. Do you think I'm something? Do you think I know how to draw a crowd? Do you think I've got something to say? There's someone coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And then John, John who was a close friend of Jesus, John who was an eyewitness to the miracles, to the life, to the teaching of Jesus, John tells us that the next day, John the Baptist is down at the river teaching. And he's teaching. Here's his sermon. Repent, repent, repent. Right? That's all he does. His message is not friendly. It's not seeker-sensitive. It's not even polite in a lot of places. It's blunt and it's to the point. There is no easy listening here. And the people were connecting through it. And they, and they were connecting to God and they were getting right with God. And for many people, guilt, well, guilt's like a religious experience, right? The more guilty you feel, the closer to God you must be, right? Because that's what it means to be near God. You must feel guilty. Frequently, after feeling guilty, you don't do anything about it. You don't change your life in any way. You don't actually adjust the things that made you feel guilty. You feel like it was a great service to God. Simply being in a place where you could hear and feel guilty. I feel bad. This must be good for God. God likes this stuff, right? The next day, John, in the middle of doing everything he, he's doing, there's a crowd around him. It's swirling like always. And there's people everywhere. And he stops what he's doing and he says, Look. And everyone stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop looking at me and look. If it were the King James, he would say, behold. It's more base in the King James, I find. More base is there. Um, all you people who are looking at me, look. The Lamb of God. And they look around. There's no sheep here. Stop being so literal. Okay, that's not the way it was. In the Greek, there is no of, all right? It's part of the noun, which means the lamb that God has sent. Look, God has sent a lamb. And for us, it just doesn't land. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with us in a way. Why is that such a big deal? So we'd say, why God sends a lamb? What's the big deal? Come on, come on. For 1,500 years, okay, 1,479 years actually, this is a culture that has been sacrificing lambs. 
Because when you, you, you drain the blood of a lamb and you offer it as a sacrifice, it atones for your sins. Now, these are smart people, okay? Sometimes we look at people in history and say, well, they were back in history. They obviously didn't know anything. They're smart people. They know that there's no way that a dead animal can atone for or give forgiveness to a live person. The blood of animals, even in quantity, does not equal the value of a human being. But for 1,500 years, they have a tradition. When someone sins, something's got to die. When somebody sins against God, somebody has to pay for that. They live their whole lives, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So since God isn't going to slay all of us for our sins, this is their way of thinking, we're going to sacrifice an animal. When we sacrifice this animal, we are saying that we recognize that we deserve to die. God, we are so thankful that you have allowed us to offer the life of an animal instead of our own lives. Because we realize that we have sinned against a holy God. I'm not asking you to think that way, okay? I'm just letting you know this is the way that they would think at this time. But they knew. They knew that the blood of an animal cannot really cover the sins of a person. That's the system. But it will never actually get the job done. Look. The Lamb of God who takes away. Full translation. Sometimes language can be fun. Sometimes English squishes, right? The full translation is lifts up and carries off. The Lamb of God who lifts up and carries off. Let that sink in. What those words are saying, what that picture looks like. Lifts up and carries off. Try saying it out loud, okay? He lifts up and carries off. That was pretty weak. Let's try it again. He lifts up and carries off. Look, the lamb that God sent. And let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to lift up and carry away the sin of the world. Jewish sin. Roman sin. Canadian sin, European sin, Asian sin, your sin, my sin. And when John said this, I'm going to make an educated guess here, okay? No one had any idea what he was talking about, right? It just it was a moment that passed. And then Jesus went on and he had his years of ministry. And throughout the years, he would leave these little Easter eggs. You know what Easter eggs are? Not like Easter eggs, but Easter eggs. Um, when, when people go and see movies, they often talk about things that are hidden in movies, little Easter eggs. So when you go back and you watch it a second time, you see things that you didn't notice the first time. Now that you've seen the end, you know what, and you watch for those things in there, or they're hints, they're references to other things that relate, they're, they're jokes, um, they're connections. Jesus kept dropping little Easter eggs, his trail of breadcrumbs, his, his little white pebbles along the way says, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he kept leaving these hints that there was something to what John had said. It wasn't about being a clever teacher, attracting a crowd. He would leave these hints and people there are guessing. And, and, and he would cause people to say, 
What is going on? There's more here than we can sense, but we just can't nail it down. And he keeps calling himself the Son of Man, and, and then this thing is going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and then the Son of Man will be arrested. And they say, you can't be arrested. You're like a rock star, man. Everybody loves you. Look at the crowds. John had a big crowd, but look at your crowd. Check out what's happening now. And Jesus would say, it's not about that. Then one night, towards the end of his time, he gathers together to have supper. And he gathered with 12 of his friends for what would be his final Passover meal. And this is hard for us non-Jewish people to get. Last time we talked about Passover, right? Do you remember that? No? Okay. Uh, go back and listen to the podcast, all right? Because what we're trying to do is we're on a road trip in earnest pursuit of Jesus together. That means that we need to kind of know the same stuff. We need to be in the same flow. We've got to be in the same groove. We've got to keep up with each other. We've got to learn together. So Passover was this big annual celebration where the Jewish people would get together and they celebrated the death angel passing over all the marked houses in Egypt. God, through Moses, told the people to kill a lamb, to take its blood and to mark the top of the door and to mark the sides of the door, the doorposts. And anybody who trusted God that night by putting the blood of the lamb over the door, they're all looking at each other, what good is this going to do? As if this is going to, I've just made my house dirty. Why would I do this? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I don't know why we're doing it. But we're just going to trust him. And what, what begins the next day, after 400 years of slavery, they were free. And they were delivered from Egypt. And so for every year since then, the Jews would gather together and they would celebrate the Passover. Jesus is in the midst of celebrating Passover with his 12 disciples, and he says something that we'll just read over. You don't notice it, but it is one of the most offensive things he could have done. Honestly, we can't imagine how offensive this would be, especially to people in that culture. They should have disowned him that night. They should have just gotten up and left. He said, okay, guys, I know that you've been doing this since you were all little boys. And I know that typically when we celebrate Passover, we are celebrating something that happened a long time ago. We're celebrating when those Israelites slaughtered the lamb and they put the blood on the door and they put the blood on the sides, the post of the door, and then God delivered them. He says from now on, whenever you celebrate Passover, I don't want you to think about that anymore. I want you to think about me. So that's offensive, right? That would be like me saying, the, the, the Sunday before Christmas, we're coming together, hey everybody, this year for Christmas, we're not going to celebrate Jesus' birthday anymore. We are now going to celebrate my birthday. From now on, Christmas is all about Graham's birthday. Woohoo! Would you come back next week? Would you stay for the rest of the service? Would you be concerned that I'd lost my mind? Trying to change the nature of Christmas? Are you kidding? That's what Jesus did to Passover that day. And they were stunned. So, so now we're not going to celebrate God delivering us from Egypt? Now we're going to celebrate you? Yeah. 
From now on, this bread is going to symbolize my broken body. And this wine is going to represent my blood that will very soon be poured out for you. The Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And they didn't understand it either. Wow, doesn't he say the strangest things? But he can heal. I'm going to stick with it. He raised Lazarus from the dead. We were there. We all saw it. I don't understand. I don't understand half of what's going on here, but I, but I trust him. I'm sticking with him. And that night he was arrested. And all those courageous, awe-inspired men ran away, and they lost faith. And he was beaten, and he was then crucified. And the gospel writers tell us an interesting detail that is really seemingly irrelevant. Except for the fact that John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The detail is completely irrelevant. That's the way it seems. Except that Jesus sat down with his guys that night and he said, From now on, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. The wine no longer represents the blood of the lamb that was shed 1,500 years ago in Egypt. So from now on, the wine represents my blood that is going to be poured out for a brand new covenant, a brand new arrangement with mankind. And the gospel writers tell us an interesting detail. When Jesus was crucified, he didn't suffocate. So today, when you got some free time, go ahead and Google crucifixion, all right? The way that you die there is a long, slow, drawn-out process of painful suffocation. You had to push your body up, forcing the weight onto the nails in your feet so that your lungs could inflate. But when the Romans get tired of watching people, watching them struggle, they just break their legs. And once the legs are broken, suffocation comes much more quickly. The Romans came to break Jesus' legs. But he was already dead. He had bled to death. Because of the scourging, the pain of the night before, the beatings, the crown of thorns they forced into his head, that cross scraping up and down his raw back. They came to break his legs, but he was already dead. It's an interesting detail. The Lamb of God who came to take, to, came to lift up and carry off the sin of the world. What can wash away your sin? You can. You've tried. Alcohol can't. For a while, you know, some things can distract. Some things can numb you. Some things can make you feel a little better for a time. But what can wash away what can pick up and carry off your sin so that it need not bother you anymore? 20 years later, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Paul, Paul, who we started with at the beginning of base camp, Paul, who hated Christians and wanted to just obliterate all of them, he asked for a mandate and was given one to go and imprison or put to death or scare away all the Christians, and he almost did it. That's how he was until he met the risen Savior, Jesus. And then he goes on, transformed to become the leading Christian in the world. 
He writes a letter to a group of uh, Christians. It's a brand new church. And, that, and listen to the interpretation of what John the Baptist predicted, of, of, of what Jesus talked about that night, and of what the eyewitnesses saw. This is what Paul wrote in Colossians 2. He forgave us all our sins. So Paul, what do you mean by that? What are you trying to get at? He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Your sin created a debt. The reason you wonder, what can I do with this? How can I move past this, this stuff in my past? How do I get rid of the shadow? The reason that you feel bad is because it's real. You are in debt. Not only do you owe yourself to have not made those decisions, you owe God. That's the nature of your shame. That's the nature of your guilt. Some things I've done, they don't bother me. But other things haunt me. Here's some good news. You, through Christ, have been forgiven. Specifically, your debt has been canceled. Which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He picked it up and carried it off. Your sin and your debt. He picked it up and carried it off. So Paul, what are you saying? What do you think can wash away my sins? Nothing that you'll ever do. Nothing but the blood of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died, he canceled your indebtedness. Indebtedness to God and indebtedness to you. So here's some more good news. You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. And if you want to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to, wait, how to wash away your sin, I know you don't think about it in those terms. You can use your own terms to get rid of your guilt, to clean up your shame, to, uh, to forget your, your, your regrettable past, to, to get rid of the ghosts, to exercise the demons, to move beyond your past, whatever your words are. But if you want to spend the rest of your life figuring out how to get your sins washed away in whatever way you can find, that's your business. It's your choice. It's always your choice. I can't tell you what to do, and even if I did, you wouldn't do it anyways. If you want to look for some religious system that will give you advice, there are plenty of them out there. But there's only one person in history that steps up and says, it's not a system. It's not about discerning the right answer. I am the solution to your problem. Because what the blood of goats and sheep and bulls and other animals could not do, what your best effort going forward could not do, what your newfound discipline, what your new commitment to move beyond your addictions can't do, what your new app, what your new advice from Pinterest can't do, I can do. Because I am, as arrogant as it sounds, as as unrealistic as it seems, I am the Lamb of God who came to pick up and carry away the sins of the world. Your sins. When I died, your debt was canceled. So what do I do with the memories? You know what? Honestly, that's actually the easiest part. 
Because for your whole life, that bad year in high school, that season in college, that the lost decade, the, the end of that first marriage, the job collapse, whatever it was, ever since then, your sin, your mistakes have resulted in your focus on your failures, your epic fail, right? It's guilt, it's condemnation, it's shame, it's embarrassment. Your heavenly Father invites you to build new mental memorials to your past. From now on, when you think about your past, when you see that name, when you hear that story, when you're in that city, from now on, when those memories, they can become a reminder of something different. They are no longer a reminder of your failures, your guilt, your shame. From now on, forever in your life, they will stand as reminders of God's forgiveness, His grace, and His love. Hear that? God's forgiveness, His grace, and His love. It's going to take a while. It doesn't just happen, right? For some of you, that means that every once in a while, you're going to need to walk away kind of off by yourself and remind yourself. For others of you, you're going to have to say it out loud because declaring things makes a difference. God, thank you. It's true that I did that. God, thank you. It's true that was my sin. But that sin reminds me that through Christ, you picked it up and you carried it away. Thank you. Now, instead of remembering my failure, I can remember in the same instance your triumph and your love for me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing you'll ever do. Only the blood of Jesus. If you were to say to Paul, hey Paul, what can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hey Peter, you denied Jesus. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John, what about you? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, you didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection. It took a resurrection to convince you. What do you think can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of my brother, my Savior, my Lord, Jesus. Here's the question for you. This is your choice. We're trying to build a base camp. And nothing goes into your base camp unless you allow it in. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm not here to force anything on you or to try and trick you into anything. But I just want you to know that I love you too much not to tell you clearly. You do not have to carry this around with you for the rest of your life. You do not have to try and earn your way out of this cloud that you are in. What your heavenly Father is asking for you is not to do something. Every other religion is going to ask you to do something. All of the things you would that you would be asked to do, those are all good things. In Christianity, we are required to believe something, to trust someone. That when Jesus died, he died for your sins. That means that he picked them up and he carried them off. And if God doesn't condemn you, who are you to condemn you? If God doesn't condemn you, he sees you as a child. Who are you to condemn you? Yourself has already been forgiven. The question is, have you ever had a moment? Has there ever been a time in your life when you received 
that forgiveness. It's one thing for it to have been made available. It's another thing for you to have received it. You remember that story of Abraham that we told a couple of weeks ago? Abraham made one single decision to trust God, and God gave him a right standing. He gave him the gift of righteousness. The New Testament authors, they tell us the same thing in the same way. If we place our trust in the fact that Christ's death paid for our sins, we are given a right standing with God. A single act of faith is how you receive what's been done for you, what's been offered to all humanity. So today, if you've never done that, and if today you've decided I'm tired of trying to earn my way out of a past that I can't earn my way out of, if you're tired of carrying around guilt and shame that you are never going to get rid of because nothing will wash it away, and if you're convinced that Jesus died and he didn't just die for the sins of the world, but he died for your sins, then I want to simply lead you in a prayer. This prayer is not a magic prayer. It does not have any special mystic formula. Prayer is just a way of expressing to God the faith that he's looking for in order to apply to you personally what he has made available to the whole world. What can wash away your sin? Nothing you've done so far. Nothing but the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, our Savior. So now, give yourself the ability to not be distracted by what's around you. Close your eyes. Pray along with me. And you can pray out loud, or you can pray in your heart. If this is your desire for the first time, or if you want to recenter your life, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe that when Jesus died, it paid for my sins. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe that nothing I do will ever pay for my sins. I need you to pay for them. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. So I'm placing all my trust in Christ. And in His death on the cross, as my full payment for my sins, I believe you picked it up and carried it away. Help me to remember in those times when the guilt and the shame come crowding back in, to simply stop and thank you for what has been done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I need, I need you to come and tell me or to, to tell somebody else. Maybe you came with somebody else. You didn't come on your own. Uh, we want to celebrate with you. We want to support you. We don't want to leave you on your own. We are on a road trip together in earnest pursuit. No one should be left behind. So today, whether you prayed with me or whether you didn't, whether you believe in what I believe or whether you don't, know that you are still loved by God who sees you as incredibly valuable. And so before you go, I want you to know and I want you to go understanding that you are now 
blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Hey, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. So thanks for coming. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for being part of this. Thanks for joining us on this road trip, even if it's just today. As I send you out, I want to remind you that we are Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. And we are to be on mission, everyone, everywhere, all the time. That's how you go to walk out into this world 